0: They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast, with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back,
1: baby, come back. But bye, 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 bye. I must admit, I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Hey! David, how you doing? I'm all right David how are you? I am
2: good I'm good this is uh th- for the listeners welcome to the bad boy running podcast. Well,
1: this is a bit awkward isn't it it's one of those things where we like like come in the door sit down we've got some news to tell you because we just don't really know what to say. We're gonna be honest with you. <laughs> We're gonna be honest. We've be we been lying to you this whole time um oh, yeah. there is no David there is no Jody. we are we are AI bots created by Russians. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and Jody's AI bot is a cyclist. <laughs> somehow. somehow. David is Greg. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But we, we recorded this episode before Christmas, possibly up to half a year ago. In fact, probably about half a year ago now. And we've had some issues with the sounds. But then since we've re-examined the episodes we've had different issues with different parts of the podcast and so um every we normally record before the podcast we then record the actual episode and we then record our summation and and those three things could be all in one go or sometimes could be weeks and months apart so we're at this we're at the stage where we can't remember if it's the the middle bit the interview the bit before or the bit after or all of them or some of them that the quality is not very good
1: I mean, you could ask the question, why don't you just go back and listen to it? But, but this is the weird thing. We all, like, right, three of us are listening to it independently, and we all think the different bits are the worst bits. So it's like that, it's like that, is this dress white or is this dress blue situation? It's that we, we there's something really weird going on where we don't really know why one person thinks one bit's awful and someone thinks the other bit's awful so we don't really know what to do in this situation so we're just going to put it out and and see what everyone thinks
2: (laughs) so we're we're basically what we're doing now is we're recording a generic intro such that no matter what happens we're just going to use this intro and bolt it onto whatever's left so (laughs) It could be because we—I've listened through to the the preamble and the post interview discussion, and they're both really funny. They're both really interesting. But actually, what's great about it is they introduce a few themes that we've used on the podcast ever since. That would <laughs> but we be- never
1: introduced. <laughs>
2: they would have made no sense to anyone which is kind of normal on the podcast and talking of if this makes no sense or if anything coming up makes no sense do go back and listen to the a to z of bad boy running it's where we run you through all of the in jokes we summarize all of the previous episodes so you can listen to that and then be fully up to speed on the stupidity that that typically is mentioned in each episode so uh, without further ado this is the interview with matt fitzgerald who he is one of the most i'd say most influential writers in running at the moment oh what definitely you
1: definitely in, in different parts of running as well
2: and interestingly enough we got him on because he's written a fantastic book to do with 80 20 running this came up partly because john album had been talking about training to his heart rate um, partly because I have been wanting to um, promote Sante watches because I was given one, because <laughs> I love them. Um, but mainly because I um, I have received my Sante watch because I am doing the Comrades Marathon and it's 56 miles with 2,000 meters of ascent, 4,000 meters of descent, and it, that the the hill's just a non-stop so i've got no idea how to pace for that really and the only accurate way to do it is to do it by heart rate and heartbeat because then you know what your actual intensity is uh, which is hopefully an indicator of your lactate so we got matt fitzgerald on to talk about eighty twenty 20 running this fantastic book which goes into all of the theories that are basically turning a lot of the, the the training world in its head. So um we'll go into that. It might be that we haven't got the summation at the end, but at least you know why. Um if that is the case, thanks for listening. Please subscribe and uh, we will speak to you next time. <laughs> bye bye bye
1: bye. Bye 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 well, we're uh, we're privileged to have uh, someone with us who um uh, we're really pleased to have on and um it is uh it's Matt Fitzgerald. So uh, Matt's an acclaimed writer on endurance sports and nutrition as well as being a certified nutritionist and you probably know him as the author of 80/20 running, uh, racing weight and brain training for runners. So welcome Matt. That was nice that's <laughs> uh, well, why, why like about the, uh, the it's like you've c- covered pretty much all of the bases of of running it's like you've got right. Like, so we've got how to run what to eat when you run what to think about when you're running it's perfect
0: well you know um, what I, I haven't covered shoes much because I, I i'm not really a shoe guy so there's one base left uncovered, at least.
2: <laughs> That's going to be a boring book.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It depends.
1: It depends <laughs> right. how controversial you want to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I like. Yeah, it's funny. You know, there there are a lot of different directions you can go when you get really into running and decide to write about it. And you know, I, I really am into the psychological side of it, the nuts and bolts of training and and diet, shoes, not simple.
2: And which of those? What was the order of those three books?
0: Uh, the three you mentioned: um, uh, brain training was came before racing weight, which came before eighty twenty running. Interesting, because I,
2: I mean, I think you're probably best known for the eighty twenty over here. Yeah um but the we well in terms of our podcast we love the psychology of uh, of running but mainly not just the how to run well yourself but how to crush your opposition with psychology
1: wow. so, actually, um, it's, yeah, it's, we're... it's very it's very pertinent actually you're coming on at this time because um i'm i'm now involved <laughs> in a challenge to crush someone else so maybe we can <laughs> maybe we can touch on touch on that later but we might have to good.
2: do some offline because he listens as well. So we can't, we can't give out too much <laughs> insight to him or else it's it's not gonna help us. It's not gonna get us ahead. Right. <laughs> but we you first came up in conversation actually, because we were talking to John Alban, who is um, skyrunning world champ and uh, Obstacle Race world champ. And he he's very strict with himself about on his long runs and even when he races, on following his his heart rate and and using that to really be able to know when he's pushing himself too hard and also to ensure that he's running at the right intensity
0: yeah
2: so should we start with eighty twenty 20 and because uh, i think that's probably going to be the area that um flows from what we've been discussing in previous episodes and um and also i think probably the most beneficial to the listeners
0: yeah and hey, the, it's yeah. your show i'm done whatever
2: so i mean t- from your how did how did you come up with this book and, and talk us through the I guess the general concepts behind it?
0: Sure, I mean just as a coach, it's it's been my experience, and, and I survey other coaches on this as well. Uh, you know, the single most common and detrimental training mistake that um, not just runners but endurance athletes generally make is getting qu- uh, caught in what I call the uh, moderate intensity rut, which is basically just means doing most of their training that they think of as easy or low intensity at at what's actually a physiologically moderate intensity and as sort of a knock-on effect of that also not doing very much at a truly high intensity because if you know think about it if, if all your easy training is not that easy then you don't have a lot left to really you know push hard so um you know i i've, I've been aware of that problem for for a long time but only within the past uh I would say decade or so have researchers started to you know exercise physiologists try try to kind of rigorously pin down like what is the optimal way to di- distribute intensity mm. in an endurance training program and that's where this concept of this 80 20 concept comes from I, I didn't come up with it um it uh, it's the brainchild of uh, a researcher named Steven seiler he's an American but based in Norway and so he, he sort of formalized something that experienced coaches have known for a long time, but he, he sort of proved that two things. One, that world-class performers in, in, in all endurance disciplines tend to do about 80% of their training at low intensity. And he also found that when uh, less talented uh, athletes, um, you know, just recreational athletes, when they follow that same uh, intensity distribution, obviously at a much lower total volume of training, they yeah. also they get better results than if they uh, train with with more, more overall intensity. So I think so the really, it's the same for everyone. So yeah, really, I mean you know sorry. some some people will sometimes ask me, "Well, like, well, what if I only run you know ten miles a week? You know, then then does the AD 20 rule (laughs) i don't know my my answer is really just run more than run more than 10 miles a week (laughs) so the the really really
1: interesting thing about the book uh there's two elements in it um first thing is actually the concept that, that that you're talking about about getting faster by by slowing down is actually a really simple concept yet you have to spend a good chunk of that book proving proving to 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 runners who obviously this must come as extremely counterintuitive that there there is science behind this um uh, were you were you aware when you started um uh talking about this uh, this concept that there was going to be a a, a lot of resistance around it because it it sort of doesn't feel right when you when you first uh, hear it especially for 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 non-athletes who don't have someone training them
0: Yes. You know, it, I, I was aware that it is uh, it, it requires a good deal of arm twisting to, to get people to to slow down. Um, I'm actually working on a follow up to 8020 uh, right now, 8020 triathlon, uh, just because there's been no a demand. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, but, but there's a there's one chapter where I sort of go down. I, I created a list of of impediments to effective 80 like you know all the reasons people don't train the way they should yeah. and i think list i don't have it in front of me but i think it's like, like no fewer than 10 factors you know so there there's a lot of things the buy-in is one of them just right. where you know people it is counterintuitive so it's hard to get them uh you know to believe that it's actually better then there's you know what i call intensity blindness where you think you're at a low intensity but you're not um there's social factors. If you go out and train with a group, you're more likely to be, you know, be pulled out of out of uh, you know the proper zone. So you know, th- there's an example I actually give in that context of an athlete I coached. Who this is someone who had ed- read 80/20 running, reached out to me for help with with training, had 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 me like calculate her zones. Um, she had you know she was all set up to do eighty twenty 20 training and then she comes back to me like halfway through her program and said you know i'm just really feeling fatigued all the time and um you know, maybe i'm training too much i'm not sure and then you know i looked at the paces she was training and i mean she knew she knew better and she was running she was doing her easy runs at her 10k race pace <laughs> <laughs> whoa what <laughs> so you see i
2: I I'd, I'd, I'd say probably there was an attractive man at track that
0: day. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, that would be the biggest reason why I run quickly is when I want to look
0: heroic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, well there's, the, there's the Strava effect, too, you know, where, you know, people it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, just sexual <laughs> in, in nature it can just be, you know, wanting to, <laughs> wanting to not appear slow, you know, uh, in, in public. Why?
1: Right. But how? So this is the confusing thing. Then, so it's almost as though if if this is what elite athletes have been doing and have known for a long time, why has it been such a secret? That's that's the that's the sort of the big question I think people ask. How come that uh, you know why is why is like high intensity? Why is that splashed everywhere as being important? Yet the real secret has has,
0: has not been known. What, what do you think the reason is for that? You know there there are a lot of reasons for it one of them is that it's actually really hard to design and execute a study that really definitively proves that yeah. the approach is better because you have to you know the real advantages of eighty twenty only start to manifest when and when you volume training volume is um, where you sort of take advantage of the ability to train more because you're not training too hard all the time and also um, you have to go long term so a lot of the studies that are done they'll take they'll take people who are not fit and then they will put them on you know a, a low intensity plan and a high intensity plan for like eight weeks or whatever and then they'll see who gets fitter and they're always balanced so that the workload is the same so like you know the um that's their way of making it apples to apples but if you're starting with beginners, the workload has to be low, right? You can't just throw them into yeah. 40, 50 miles a, a week of training, um, and then you can't get people to follow, you know, a structured plan in sort of a clinical context for six or eight or ten months. It has to be kind of short. So the whole thing is set up to make the the you know the high intensity interval approach look better, uh, and that and that's that's part of the reason that you know in the popular media um it's all about the advantages of of intervals and not so much going slow and you've you've mentioned
2: about the for for people just doing 10 miles a week it doesn't really apply is there a bottom end and is there a top end potentially as well because because part of my thinking would be if i start hitting 120 miles a week if i slow down a lot actually then i'm just adding hours and hours of running on um where if i was slightly quicker maybe i'd have more recovery time
0: yeah. So the, the bottom end is, is a really interesting question that, that is open. Um, you know, is there sort of a, a minimum threshold of, of training volume, uh, for, you know, 80, 20 to basically kick in and, and become relevant? I, I think that, that, that is likely. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's studies showing that you can do like, you know, five minutes of high intensity interval training a few times a week and get significant benefits. Well, I don't think you can match those benefits with five minutes or even like an equal, <laughs> an equal energy of all low intensity. So yeah, that minimum threshold does does exist. Um, but by and large, it's not really a question that's relevant to 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 runners, because, you know, it's one thing to take someone who's sedentary and try to motivate them to exercise. And the the the, t- the minimum time commitment argument is persuasive for those mm. people. However, they're also the very last people who want to do high-intensity intervals, <laughs> whereas runners are—they they want results. They want to improve. They want to succeed. So they're going to blow right by 10 miles per week eventually and just mm. you know, eventually you know, do, do real running. So it, it, it's an interesting question on, you know, on a theoretical level, but on a practical level, the answer doesn't really apply to anyone. Uh, you still have to find a way to persuade couch potatoes to exercise. And runners are perfectly willing to exercise enough for eighty twenty to be the best way to go for them. Uh, on the maximum end, um, you know, I think what's clear is that, you know, elite runners have figured out the optimal way to train. And, you know, they could run more, but they don't because it, it would it's you know, you've got um, diminishing return as you increase volume. Mm-hmm. For a while, you do, you get additional benefits, but they accrue at a slower weight. So the, mm. r- r- the returns are positive, but they're diminishing. And then eventually you get to the point where the returns stop and you start quickly going in the other direction uh, as you continue to increase volume. So, you know, science really hasn't, you know, definitively, like, identified like that, that threshold, but you can bet it's, it's right where the elites are currently because they just figured it out through real-world real trial and error.
2: Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it seems that Kipchoge and, and Co are all on around 100 to 120 a week. Mm-hmm. Same even with Seb Co, I remember when he was training hard, he he was on about 100 miles a week, 110 miles a week.
1: So the, one, of the th- one of the things that um, that we're talking about here is intensity. Um, and so a lot of people are thinking, um, in terms of, uh, running to heart rate, but, but the way that you're defining intensity and how you measure intensity, um, incorporates heart rate as well as, um, uh, perceived effort and pace as well. Can you just explain that as to, as, as to how you came up with that? Is, is it the fact that heart rate monitoring isn't entirely accurate or, or what were the, what were the other factors that, that made you come up with this, this, this sort of calculation for, for trying to get it as accurately as possible?
0: Yeah, so you know the, the physiological intensity of exercise, um, it's really independent of any particular metric you might choose to use to measure intensity. You know, intensity is just, you know, you know how how hard your body is working uh, relative to your body's limits. Um, so there are a variety of uh, systems in the body that are involved in that output. Um, You know, your brain is one of them. Your brain is intensely active when when you're engaged in aerobic exercise. Uh, There's a a metabolic dimension to it. There's um, uh, the uh, cardiovascular element, oxygen consumption. So none of these individual things is intensity itself. You know, so you could ride a roller coaster and max out your heart rate. That doesn't mean you got a, a good workout um mm. so you know it, intensity is not heart rate and heart rate is, is not intensity heart rate just happens to be one useful way to um to to monitor and control intensity but it has profound limitations you know it's it's influenced by you know in, environmental factors it's influenced by diet um your heart rate is likely to be 10 beats per minute higher during a race than it is during at the same pace in a workout because of the effects of adrenaline so that, oh, that makes, really? Yeah, that that screws people up all the time.
2: <laughs> oh God. Okay. Actually, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> <That's quite useful.
0: laughs> right. So that's kind of the difference between intensity itself and the metrics we use to to measure it. So how do we say
2: because we, we've also obviously got you on to discuss this because it's interesting, but mainly so that people can apply it at home. So if I'm sat at home, I'm running at the moment 25 miles to 40 miles a week typically. What do I do?
0: <laughs> in order to like <laughs> in order to get on the 80 20 program, basically?
2: Yeah. How do I figure it out? How do I test it? How do I maintain it? Um, all yeah. those all those areas, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you you need obviously you you need objective measurements. You need to know what, you know, it, it it's all about just um, putting the right amount of intensity in each of basically three buckets, low, moderate, mm. and high. And the important threshold is is the, the one between low and moderate. And uh, where scientists now really really place that that boundary is at what's known as the ventilatory threshold. That's an exercise intensity at which there's kind of an abrupt spike in the breathing rate um, it is not a super high intensity. There's, there's another ventilator, a second ventilatory threshold. That's more the VO two max thing that, that comes at a much higher intensity. Mm. This one tends to p- fall like in your typical train runner at about 77, 78% of, of maximum heart rate. So you're not dawdling, but it should be at, like a very comfortable intensity for, for people. So you want to, you want to find out where those thresholds are for you. And you, you need to do that by, by choosing one or more ways of measure, measuring intensity. It, it can be pace. Um, you know, perceived effort is very reliable in experienced runners, but not so much in mm. less experienced ones. So, you know, pace and heart rate, and increasingly power. They're actually running power meters now that that provide another option. Um, so, yeah, then then you need to test, and usually the tests identify a different threshold called uh, the lactate threshold, which is just a mm. little bit higher. Than the ventilatory threshold. So um, one way to do that is with like a thirty-minute time trial. Um, or and you, you're, you're if you're using heart rate, your 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 lactate threshold is likely to be your average heart rate for the last twenty minutes of a thirty-minute time trial. If you want to use pace, you can also use uh, a recent race time. Um, I, I really like Greg McMillan's running calculator. You can find it at McMillanRunning.com. So if you've run a race recently that you think is representative of your current fitness level, or if you're just experienced enough to know, like if I ran a 10K today, I think I, I know what time I would run. You put mm. that in and um, that one of the outputs you'll get from that is an estimate of what's known as your functional lactate threshold, which basically means the fastest pace based on your race time that you could probably sustain for one hour, because that that really does, in someone who's already got some fitness, that does sort of coincide with your lactate threshold. So if you went into a laboratory and actually had a blood draw, you know, while you were exercising and found your, your true lactate threshold that way, it would probably be very close to the, the fastest pace you could sustain for one hour in, in race type circumstances. So there are other tests too. Um, you know, I, I talk about them in my book. Um, also I, I uh, if you go to actually my brand new website, eighty twenty endurance.com, there are some resources there that describe some of these field tests that you can use, but that's basically what you want. You got a stake in the ground. You, you now know, after you've done one of these tests. Um, and I, I also have an online calculator, so So once you know your lactate threshold heart rate mm. or it's or even power, you can put that into my calculator and it will give you zones. And then it's just sort of paint by numbers from there. You just like, you know, if you're, if it's a low intensity run, you should be in zone one or two. Um, so on and so forth. So then it's just all about the discipline and restraint required to obey your zones once you've identified them.
1: What are the, what are the biggest challenges? Because you, you obviously coach people as well and, you, and you've, you've seen like a lot of people go through this. What are the biggest challenges that people find uh, when, when starting this, especially at the, um, at the end of you know, not, not necessarily experienced athletes? Um, because I imagine that the running too slow issue that I'm barely running it's got to be mm. a big one what how, how do you how do you help in that situation?
0: yeah, I mean generally I mean, if you've got a better answer, I'd love to hear it <laughs> it, 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 remain, it remains a challenge um but yeah, that's what people will say and and i I can appreciate it because if you're someone who's just you know not the most talented runner in, in the world, and you know you're just you're starting off at a fairly low fitness level, you know the top end of your zone too, you know which is sort of where Low intensity bleeds into moderate. It could be 14 minutes per mile, and you know I don't care who you are. No one wants to go out and run for 14 Mm. minutes. Um, (laughs) But you know I I tell people you know just be patient with it. And some people do need to walk initially to stay in in zone two or just avoid hills altogether. Um, And it's not a hell of a lot of fun. But um, I just encourage them like just give it a chance. You will. You will get to the point where you graduate from being able to, you know, from from having to walk to being able to jog in in zone two. It's just, it's it's the quickest way, you know, to escape the the, the very situation that you don't like being in is to just trust the process and 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 do your because well, once you start to see results, then um, you know, then the buy in is sort of automatic. And the one thing that people do on the positive side tend to notice right away is that. You know, if you're if you're running all of your easy, quote unquote, easy runs at moderate intensity, there's a little bit of strain in them. You know, you're sort of you're sort of pushing it um, maybe without even realizing it. And when you dial back uh, to, you know, proper low intensity training, suddenly those runs are more pleasant or, you know, you, even if, maybe, so, that's sort of an instant benefit you get. And let's remember, it's 80 20, not 100 zero. So if you like to push it a bit and I think everyone likes at least the exhilaration of running fast. You get to do that twenty percent of the time, and it's also that twenty percent is a big part of what helps you gain fitness, and then eventually be able to do uh, your low intensity runs at a faster pace.
1: Are there any other I, factors? Are the other factors affecting um, uh, that the, the success of someone uh, an issue? I mean, I'm sure things like um, weight uh, play a big thing. But does, does age is age a big issue? That you know, that if you're starting at this. Um, a lot older, then do you have a disadvantage or, or any other factors?
0: No, I don't think age is one. You know, I asked uh, Steven Seiler, the the discoverer of the 80-20 rule, like, you know, does it apply to all age categories? And, and he said, yes. I mean, there's some fine-tuning you have to do, not just with respect to age, but, you know, training years in terms of, like, say, within the 20% bucket, like how much time do you spend at the low end of that versus the high end of that? You know, that could change you know, based on how long you've been in the sport or, or how old you are, that type of thing. But generally, you know, that 80-20 rule is is kind of universal. <clears throat> you, know, you know, other things that tend to trip people up are, you know, I mentioned it before, like if the, people who do train in groups are constantly being pulled out of it, mm. and, you know, where they should be in one direction or, or another there are people who over race, you know, that they, they, they race too often and they don't, they forget that that counts as time spent at high intensity. Also, um, there's a variety of issues. Like the, the hardest stuff is up front, you know, just like the initial buy-in, um, just the, the, the discipline, you know, to execute like, and those that's like inventing the wheel. You you've only got to do it once. And then usually it's kind of smooth sailing from there, but there are like smaller issues that can crop up, you know, uh. You know, d- down the road, also.
2: I guess to a certain extent, as well, it's you have to invest more time because actually you're it's taking longer to take to, to run the same number of miles. And so, while it is easier for some people, time is actually more precious than going through that, that pain barrier that you go through by of, of running quickly.
0: Right. So it, 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 it's, it, it's worth pointing out. I, I'm actually glad, glad you said that because. People have when they're first presented with this idea, you know, slow down to get faster. They 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 have sort of a straw man idea of of what I'm selling to them. Like they think, okay, I've got to go from running nine minutes a mile to 13 minutes per mile. No, that's usually not what we're talking about. Usually, typically, um, people only need to slow down by about 20 seconds per mile or so to get mm. from where they are. So you're not losing a lot of – you're not adding a lot of time to your runs um, by slowing down 20 or 25 seconds per mile. And is there a bottom end to that? If
2: I if I want to friend with a, run with a friend who is far slower, is there a, a speed at which 80% of that pace is too slow?
0: Yeah. I mean there, there has to be, though I have to say I have never encountered a runner who, who trained – too slow <laughs> uh, on on their easy days to you know so slow <laughs> that they didn't benefit from it. I mean, th- what the what the research says is that if you're below s- about sixty percent of maximum mm-hmm. heart rate, you're really not exercising. I mean, you know, not not in an endurance training sense sense of exercising. So you kind uh, you know, of want to stay above sixty percent of maximum heart rate. But I think things sort of you know because that that's a that's a question I get all the time because, you know, low intensity, is a, it's a big range. So people mm. will ask me, well, like, well, where in zone two should I be? You know, near the top, near the bottom? Um, and I, I just encourage people to just take it day by day. Like, as long as you're in that zone, you're basically getting the same adaptations you know, from, from the workout. Um, but if you're doing a, a zone two run the day after a hard interval session, you might feel kind of flat. You're still processing fatigue. And you'll just be more comfortable toward the bottom end of it, whereas if you do, if you have one of those days that just for no particular reason you just feel like Superman, but it's not a high-intensity workout that's scheduled for that day, well, go ahead and go right up to the ceiling of zone two. You don't want to exceed it because then you're doing a different workout. Um, so, yeah. And do
2: you, the- do, you, oh, do you think the differences are? because you're not building up that lactate or because you're not tiring yourself out? Or is it actually the, the benefits that you get from running at different speeds are different?
0: Yeah, so I mean, the, you know, it, the reason that, because scientists have proposed a variety of ways of uh, or, uh, separating low and, and moderate intensity or low and whatever else, and um the the reason the the ventilatory the first ventilatory threshold seems to be the 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 one that's important is that if you if you are running just below that threshold um it's it's um it's not very challenging to your nervous system you know and it's not very taxing uh, to your autonomic nervous system whereas if you go just above that threshold there's a big spike in how taxing it is to your nervous system and thus the require uh, the the recovery requirement that comes after it so so if you're always even just a little bit above that threshold um you're you're just creating you're sort of digging a hole of fatigue uh mm-hmm. you know assuming you're sort of exercising pretty much every day and so you, you actually stop adapting to the training you're doing uh, fully so like you know a little bit of your training is sort of wasted <laughs> um mm-hmm. you're sort of you're like it's like a like 80% of what you're doing is benefiting you. And then it's like 20% undoing it just by, by virtue of, of being a little bit too intense. Um, so that's why, you know, that threshold is just it, the important thing is like being below it when you're supposed to. And then, you know, in terms of like, like, you know, what, what if you stayed just below it for every run and went and, and did an entire training plan that way? or you went well below it all the time like would you get different results i think actually not i I think because you you get maybe a little more of a fitness building stimulus if you're a little higher in the zone but you also are creating a little bit more fatigue and that can that can you know the body works kind of systemically so um you may think you're doing two different training plans but you'll just be a little fitter and a little more tired on one version and a little Mm. less a little less tired than the other and on race day you get exactly the same results so Mm. i i I encourage athletes not to like kind of micromanage their their low intensity too much one of the
1: things you talk about in the book um is about using cross training um as a way of um well so you you don't have to necessarily do as much running is that is there a limit to how much cross training you can get away with without actually doing any running? I mean, could you essentially do the eighty percent all cross training, non-running, and do the twenty percent hard effort running, and and see results from that?
0: Yeah, I, I think you could. I mean, my I, I've done a ton of cross training in, in my life, partly because I've I've done triathlons, and partly because I'm injury prone, so um, <clears throat> I've, I've needed to rely on cross training to you know get the get the performances i want in races um you know basically to to stay healthy without sacrificing fitness so you know i've become a big believer in the benefits there's also research to to back it up i would say if you are if you're a runner who wants to improve um you need to run three times per week at, at a minimum and if you're only running three times per week um and using cross training to, to supplement that, it makes sense to uh, kind of kind of concentrate the twenty percent of your of your training because it all goes in the same bucket. Mm. So mm. the eighty twenty rule. If you do, if say, if you if you run, ride a bike, and swim, your body doesn't really know the difference on a certain level. It, it knows that you're getting an aerobic stimulus from all three of them. Uh, so the eighty twenty rule has to apply. To the full mix now you could choose to you know do like most like elite triathletes they do 80 20 in swimming 80 20 in cycling and 80 20 in running but if you're a runner if you're not actually competing on the bike you're just using it for cross training it makes sense to do concentrate the 20 in your running mm. um and then yeah do make most of your cross training low intensity um the exception would be if you if you are prone to or, or if you're dealing with, like say, a chronic Achilles injury, something that is exacerbated by more intense running, in that case, you might actually want to do some, some or even all of your high intensity on the bike and just get in the miles on on foot.
2: And because you've mentioned a few times that it, it is systemic. So say I were to um, do heavy upper body weights, which isn't necessarily, you know, your arms aren't used that much in running. Are you saying that if that is very intensive, it's it's going to count in my
0: 80-20? No, um, because that's, you know, like things like uh, strength training or yoga, Pilates, things like that, they don't, they don't count, um, in my view, unless you're doing uh, one of those like circuit type of strength training things with minimal mm. rest between exercises. You're actually – your heart rate is staying elevated throughout the entire session, then it really is going to count. But if you're doing like more of the conventional functional strength training, Mm. the kind of thing that the elite runners do to support their running, you know, they're, they're getting full rest between movements. So obviously it, it does have an impact, but not the kind of impact you need to account for with in, in, in terms of the 80, 20 rule.
2: Okay. Okay. That's good to hear. And, and to give a, an idea of just how big these windows are you've mentioned the different zones there's five zones i believe um if you're looking at someone who is say a an eight minute per mile marathon runner what kind of split would there maybe it's not something you don't know off the, off the top of your head but where would we be putting these different zones approximately and how big are they how, how the, the separate zones
0: yeah what Yeah, I was actually going to just go to my calculator and, and put in the example. It's pr- pretty easy. Um, let's actually instead of uh, have I lost you?
1: You're still here. We're
0: here. Okay, sorry, I I just lost the video. So let's uh, give the okay. let's give the example of um, so you, you run a forty minute ten k. Yeah. Um. So if that if that's you, um, your your zone two. Which is so the, the zone one and zone two are are low intensity. Those two zone one is more of your recovery zone, and zone and zone two is more of your your sort of bread and butter your know, easy training zone. Mm. Um, so if you if you run a forty minute flat ten uh, k, your your zone two, which is really where you're going to spend the plurality of your training time, would be uh, eight twenty four per mile on the slow end. And 7:21 per mile on the fast end, so slightly more than a minute per mile range, which again is is pretty broad, but I think appropriately so because you know uh, physiologically you're going to be if that's your fitness level you're going to be getting pretty much the same training effect anywhere inside that zone, especially if you use perceived effort to determine exactly where you are within mm-hmm. that zone on a given day. So. You know, you, I, I don't know if this is true in your experience. It, it certainly isn't mine. Um, <clears throat> you know, an 824 mile can feel no no easier than a 721 mile just on two different days. You know, yeah. so both both can feel you know comfortable, but not not like you're lying on a hammock just, just yeah. because on the day you're running 721, you feel great on the day you're running 824 you feel not so great and you just allow your body to have the final say in terms of where you settle within that zone.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say a, a 720 mile, if you're doing marathon training um, and you, you've, you're you only – if you can do a 40-minute 10K, a 720 mile is quick if you're doing 18 miles. I mean, seriously quick.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I That's why, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule is not – the last thing that needs to be said on effective training. <laughs> yeah. There's there's an entire chapter in my book where I say, okay, here's all the other rules. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: you
0: know, you know, like the eighty twenty rule establishes a very useful framework, but there there are other rules you need to follow. Like if that's all you knew about running is that you need to do, think about it. Like if that's all you knew about training is that you need to spend eighty percent of your time at low intensity. Well, you might run every single run eighty percent at low intensity and twenty percent at high intensity, right? Like that's something yeah. rule. That's not a good idea. So, yeah, there was,
1: I was I was very disappointed when you got to that book, that part in the book where you said this. This is it's not quite as simple as it made it out to be. Because as soon as right. as soon as you bring any complexity into anything, I've, I, I I struggle. Right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And if
2: you if you're running a hundred miles a week and you decide that you're going to do 20 miles in one go at your 20 percent your top intensity that is gonna be that's a phenomenal effort <laughs>
0: right yeah yeah so so very true no you you would not if you're a 40 minute 10k runner training for a marathon you would not want to do uh just uh, you would not want to make your default long run pace the very top end of, of your of your zone too you, you absolutely would not
2: and where would what would the in, the, in this example where would the, the zone three be? Um, so seven twenty is the bottom of it. What would the top be for that?
0: So uh, yeah, so zone uh, so well there's there's a there's a gap um, which is we, we've now my my partner in this eighty twenty endurance uh, business, David Warden. Uh, see, he suggested because people get tripped up by gaps between zones. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, what happens if I'm between zone two and three? Like, do I just spontaneously combust? It's like, no.
1: <laughs> that would be good. That would be a, that would be a great incentive to make sure that you stayed in your zone.
0: <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be? Uh, but uh, so we decided to name those gaps. So now we have the gap between zone two and three is now zone X, and the gap between three and zone three and four is zone Y. They're just, no, they're just... That's
2: a terrible name They're too cool yeah. I want to be in Zone X the whole time yeah, It's know. amazing <laughs> It needs to be uh, like Zone Pansy or...
1: <laughs> Zone, Zone, Zone Douche, or Zone douche. <laughs> Yeah Zone Douche
0: <laughs> uh, So anyway to, 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 There's
1: still <laughs> time to change it There's still time to change
0: it <laughs> Get Tip out yeah, well, we need to keep it fresh, so I'll, I'll put I'll tuck those away. Zone pansy and zone douche. <laughs> so anyway, zone zone X for our hypothetical forty minute flat 10 k runner would be uh, six fifty one per mile on the slow end and six twenty one on per mile on on the fast end. So that that's an even thirty seconds. So you know a, a narrower zone.
2: Okay, so there's, I mean, the, the, it does sound as if once you know once you know your body once you're used to running a fair bit these zones are, are, are fairly easy to hit or to avoid even without a watch
0: yeah yeah they they are i mean it's an interesting thing you know i just spent the entire summer in flagstaff arizona training with uh, a team of professional runners and those athletes know they've been running so long and they know their body so well it's it's almost uncanny you know if you ask one of them to to go out and run a 620 mile they'll hit it on the nail i mean they Mm. will nail it um and whereas most even even most experienced recreational runners just it's i think it's part of what makes them so good like yeah they've got a high vo2 max but they're also so tuned into their bodies but but everyone makes progress in that direction with experience so you know, some beginners who just, they don't have the experience and maybe they just, they're not naturally very good at, at reading their bodies. They're truly terrible at pacing and, you know, truly terrible at, you know, so, you know, obeying the the intensity guidelines, but you you get better. You just have to have an honest effort. It's like, you know, if you look at kids doing their first half mile fun run, you know, so that, you know, the parents are doing a 5k, they take the kids out and like, you know, the gun goes off and they all sprint, right? <laughs> Five, six, seven six, seven-year-olds. And they pay a heavy price for that, you know? And so the next time they do a half-mile fun run, like, they hold back a little bit, you know?
1: No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. if you're chasing them. Uh, <laughs> look, but the, the interesting thing you said there about the um, – uh, about uh, – experienced runners knowing, uh, knowing perceived effort and, and knowing all that. And I think that's why it's so attractive to, to have a way of falling back on heart rate zone. So when, 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 we're, when, I'm looking at, when I'm looking at the book you there's a, in the, <laughs> in the book, this made me laugh. There's, um, there's the Borg scale of perceived, um, exertion. And, um, and I honestly, I have a similar um, uh, pattern of uh, perceived exertion, but it just has two stages. It has really easy on walking or out of breath, and for, uh-huh. <laughs> for, for I think for for a lot of people, it feels as though that's it. So actually, you know, coming up with there have been so many gradations of per, um, perceived effort, and actually knowing because you the, the, you don't. When I started, when I was training for um, like for some of the races that I'd done. I thought I was going as hard as I could. And you don't know how hard you can go until you properly go hard. And if by, by actually using um, heart rate as a way of understanding which zones you're supposed to be in, it, it adds almost a framework there so you can start to learn more about your body and, and how it works, which is why it's so, it feels so difficult at the start because you're, you're almost trusting this framework that um and saying okay we'll just it's almost it's it's almost like partly religious like you have to trust in this for this amount of time and everything will fall into place but you you probably don't know that david because that was such a long time ago when you you you, you, (laughs) you're you're experienced enough and you've done enough running to not know what it was like when you were when you were when you were starting out and you know that feeling of dying (laughs) but that's how it feels (laughs)
2: And so, um, and you you mentioned as well the you've got the different zones, and this this is through your training. When when do these zones change? Are they constant? How long do they last?
0: Yeah, yeah, good question. So you know, generally speaking, and this is the great thing about being a beginner who's not fit. You know, the the less fit you are when you start off, the more rapidly you'll gain fitness. and, you know, if, if you've been at it for a while and, and your baseline fitness is always pretty high, you're, you're not going to gain fitness as rapidly, you know, even when you're, you know, full on ramping up for for a race. So uh, for the beginner, they might sort of graduate beyond their existing zones every every four to six weeks or so. Um, there, there, there are a few ways to do it. You can you can kind of schedule it so you, you can just you can uh, repeat one of the field tests that that are used to calculate your zones every every four to six weeks. It's good to do those tests because some of them are they're quite demanding. So you know do schedule them for a for your recovery week. So maybe every every four to six weeks you sort of step back, take it easy for a week, and then your hardest session within that week is actually a lactate threshold test. And that you can use that to keep your zones current. You can also just Every, I think every athlete, when they're gaining fitness, they, they will have a sense that they're sort of outgrowing their zones. Um, mm. and just so if you, if you don't necessarily want to, you know, schedule it, um, you can just, as often as you feel you're outgrowing your zones, do it, you know, perform a test at that time. Also, anytime you do a race is a, is a good opportunity to, uh, at least recalculate your, your pace based zones, because there's no better, uh, You know, indicator of your current fitness level than than today's or yesterday's race result. So that's what I recommend for keeping zones current.
2: And I know with um, a lot of lactate um, testing. So, with Paula Ratcliffe, before she ran the world record, her coach, is it Andy? I can't remember his name. He he used her lactate uh, analysis to figure out exactly what she was capable of on that marathon day and it it was ridiculously fast in the prediction and, and it was spot on can we use these zones or can we use this information to be able to if we've had a few weeks out but then we've come back we've been a bit ill but then we've trained well to then be able to go actually i know from this data i'm capable of running in the marathon or in the half marathon this time
0: yes i mean it's it's uh you know it, that's another thing where experience helps so yes i mean the the data will the data will give you certainly some sense of of what you're capable of but you 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 kind of have to know how to use it um mm-hmm. and that's where experience comes in it, it's interesting because it seems to me there there are sort of two types of runner in this regard like runners like me every single time i train if i'm if i'm preparing for an event every single workout i do I think about consciously, what does this workout tell me about my goal for the upcoming race? You know, it could be a short, easy recovery run when I feel terrible, you know, the day after a really hard workout. And you would think, oh, it's the really hard workout that tells you something about your fitness. And that's true, too. But um, there's some athletes who are just almost obsessed about sort of uh, analyzing where they stand in relation to where they want to go. And then, if you do that, if that's sort of your like natural mindset, you get to be really good at, at, at learning, like, you know, what, what your goal should be or where you are in the process of getting ready to achieve a certain goal. And there, there are other runners who just, they just go out and do the training and they don't really, they don't really contextualize their workouts in that particular way. They just, they hope to achieve the goal of the workout and then move on to the next one. So if you want to sort of use, you know your, your training data to to uh, you know get a sense of of you know what what a realistic goal is for you or whether you're on track for a goal. You sort of need to train yourself in that mindset. So start you know systematically. Um, you know it, it helps if you've been through the process at least once. So like if you've if you've trained for a 5k, completed a 5k, and now you're moving on to train for either another 5k or something else, you can start to compare your your current data to the data from the training that preceded your last race and then then you have more of a foundation for for um you know you're able to interpret the recent data more effectively and are you what data would you typically
2: track because are you looking at the heart your heart rate through each session or are you comparing that to the actual pace that you're running or um you know what what is the the key metrics for people who want to dig deep to actually start tracking long term
0: yeah so it's either i mean obviously you, you race by time so you know the, the 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 most useful data is you know average pace for certain types of runs split times for other types of runs um and obviously you know the the, the more demanding the workout it is is the, the more it's going to tell you because it, it's actually the, the hardest workouts you do you're actually coming closer to your limits which is exactly what you do in a race is you try to come so so those those will be the most revealing but i've even um uh in my own efforts to just sort of uh see what i could learn from various types of data i found that just if you take your average pace for for every week of training that tells you a lot too like So you're like you're if you could be you could be doing 80 20 training and it's all different kinds of workouts kind of mixed together. But if you see your average pace coming down and down and down over the course of a training training plan, like that tells you a lot right there. If you do use heart rate, then you've got you can start looking at heart rate pace relationships. Um, So, you know, you want to see that your 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 heart rate at any given pace is coming down and that your pace at any given heart rate is is. Uh, improving.
2: And and then the, the, I think the other question that'd be useful for people who are trying to use this and implement it, that 20%, is there, does it, does it matter that much, whether that's intervals, whether that's tempo, whether that's three different days, two sessions?
0: Right. So yeah, it's, it's important to point out for for those listening for whom this is all new, that you know, twenty percent encompasses two buckets of intensity: moderate and high. So that's uh, zone three is your moderate intensity bucket, and zones four and five are high intensity. Um, and yes, it, it does matter. Um, by and large, like you get more bang for your buck uh, in at high intensity in, in zones four and five, um, and so you want at least probably 10% of that 20% to be actually high intensity. Um, and there's actually pretty good studies out there showing that if you if you do an 80-20 plan that's like 80% low int- intensity and 20% moderate with no high intensity, you're not going to improve nearly as much as if you you give equal time uh, to, to high intensity. Um, the wrinkle gets into like, uh you know the specificity factor like what's the distance of the event you're training for because you know a a 5k is pretty much a high intensity race Mm -hmm. so to to be you know optimally prepared for that distance you want to do more of your 20 percent at high intensity than at moderate but if you're training for uh, a marathon or god forbid an ultra marathon then you know that that's a low to moderate intensity uh, event, and, and you'll get more benefit from – you still want to do some high intensity, but more mm-hmm. of that percent should be in zone three versus zones four and five.
2: So a marathon pace, for example, that would be probably zone three.
0: It's uh, Yeah, it'll be like initial it, – well, it, yeah, if you're talking pace, it would be zone X, actually, for okay. most of that – so, or zone, what was it? Pansy douche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: I Cause, yeah. Cause I've found in marathon training I've done, I'll generally do each week building up from five oh. to up to 12 miles at, at marathon pace, yeah. which, um, well, it sounds like that might not be a great idea after all.
0: Yeah. So I just, uh, I just put in my, own marathon time i ran chicago a month ago so i put that in and my my pace for that is in zone x yeah so okay. I, I think it is i think it is for for most runners in that zone x range so actually in 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 my um in my most recent uh iteration so there, there i have 80 20 uh, plans in my book i also have online ones that I, I tweak every now and then just when i based on things that i i learn. so i include um you know sort of marathon pace practice sessions that target zone x so mm-hmm. i mean generally you're avoiding it but you want to do some training at obviously at, at race pace and and if, if you're training for a marathon then, then you do need to go spend a little time in zone x
1: you mentioned your your um your run at chicago and, um, so this actually relates to a question that someone had, um, uh, Hugh Williams, um, saying that when you were training with the, with the pro running team, was there anything new you learned, um, that maybe, uh, informs your, your view on eighty twenty 20 or any, any insights from that, 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 that surprised you?
0: Uh, yeah, d- definitely. So, I mean, um, I think the big thing in terms of like the real nuts and bolts of training is, uh. I mean it was definitely an 8020 program that I was on. You know, usually I coach myself, uh, yeah. but there I was, I was coached by the team's coach and I I did everything he said. Um and he definitely um you know, by and large it was still an 8020 breakdown, but he had me and and you know, his other runners spend more time uh in in zones X and 3. So it really in that moderate intensity range. Um and and less at high intensity that, that I was accustomed to. The the high intensity stuff was there. I'll, I'll give you an example. So what, when I was training on my own, usually if I wanted to do something in zone four, which is kind of like VO2 max intensity, I might go mm. to the track and run, um, you know, six times 800 meters or something. And, you know, and that's a, that's a very hard workout. If you're, if you're really running in your zone four, um, mm. and so a little bit of that goes a long way, but I, I often found that, like when I started to when I entered a phase of training, when I did you know a sequence of workouts like that, I would just get fried out. I would get overcooked, and then I just wouldn't have much left on on race day. In on Ben Rosario's training, the the coach for NAZ Elite, he would if you went into Zone Four, you might actually do much shorter intervals than that. So instead of running half mile intervals, he might only have you run three hundred meters. Um, and the total distance of the session might be the same, but if you get to recover every 300 meters versus every 800, it's a much easier, much more uh, tolerable session. So what I found was you know if you just look at the training I did in Flagstaff, the workload was even is greater than than what I was taking on on my own, but it was quite a bit more manageable. I just I felt pretty good all the way through just because, um of of the approach to the high intensity work it was almost used like you know seasoning so low intensity was the meat um mm-hmm. moderate intensity was the sauce and then high intensity was just kind of the seasoning on top
2: and, and those 300s were at the same pace that you'd have done your 800s normally but they were exactly. just okay interesting yeah i mean that's that's different to how i'd say nearly everyone i know trains um, yeah
0: what what Ben what Ben said, you know, because I I was you know obviously grilling him, uh, you know, throughout throughout my time there, just you know, why do you do this? What you know, what's the rationale? Um, and you know, he said he, he said uh, that too many runners, too many marathoners, they do ten k training with long runs and call that marathon training. And, mm. and he said he said you know, ten k training really should be completely different from from marathon training. So. Um, they don't, if you look at, you know, the way, and a lot of the runners on the team, they'll do both, both but they don't mm-hmm. do both at the same time. And, and so top to bottom, their training looks pretty darn different when they're focused on the marathon than it does when they're focused on, on uh, well, 10 K track once there.
2: And was that, was that 10 K training you were doing with them or?
0: No, it was marathon. It, it was, was marathon
2: training. Okay. So even the marathon training was doing 300 meters rather than the eight hundreds
0: wow okay yeah that's really interesting um Well, again like those were those weren't you know that's that's the seasoning so those workouts Hmm. like anything that's like at high intensity um we did it it was part of the rotation but they were never the hardest workouts like the ones where you really had to go to the well were the ones that were like closer to to lactate threshold intensity to marathon pace you know sort of the 10k pace to, to marathon pace range
2: Okay. So they people, your tempo runs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, um, jade is there anything you want to, else you want to discuss on eighty twenty? because i'd quite like to get into we've still got time matt the uh the brain training well no
1: absolutely i was just i was just having a quick look at some of the questions people had, and i think the majority of the questions people were having were related to uh to the things that we've covered about the uh the, like, the different thresholds for um uh the the well, different zones and also about running slow and, and and how to how to do that but um but yeah I, yeah let's if we could talk about um there's some things about nutrition actually a couple of people have asked um, which, uh, which would be uh, would be interesting. Sorry, I just need to find it.
2: Well, should, should we start off with brain training, and then we can we can come back to nutrition okay. once we've once traders found the questions. So, um, I mean, brain training is something in my head. I've always just thought if I run hard in training, that gets me uh, used to pain that <laughs> my brain can take, <laughs> and that's that is my brain training essentially. <laughs> Are we going wrong? <laughs> that,
0: that's a good start. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you'll you'll definitely be better prepared for to suffer in a race if you have suffered in, in training. Uh, but is there more to the story? Yes.
2: <laughs> so, where well, I mean, take us through the uh, take us through the key points. You think that will be useful for people sat at home to you kind know, of take on board?
0: Yeah. So it, I think you know the, the 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 key thing to understand is that. <clears throat> in endurance performance the the primary limiter of endurance performance is in fact the brain um so we we obviously have physical limits that's why we're not all the same speed you know because we have different physical limits but um what, what research shows and this is another sort of counterintuitive concept is that mm. Um, We actually never encounter our true physical limits um, in endurance competition uh, because uh, we're limited by really the mind before, before we, uh, before we can actually uh, fulfill 100% of our physical capacity in a race. We hit, we hit another limit first, um, which is kind of psychological in in nature, which it's, yeah, it's, it's your maximum tolerance for perceived effort
2: and so how do we how do we go about trying to change how how do we uncap that that limit
0: yeah i mean it's a it's it's really a a long list of ways you can do it um just to to give you a sense of of just the the variety of ways to um so what you're what you're really trying to do is close the gap between your psychological limit and your physical limit like you'll You'll never get all the way to your physical limit, but you can close the, the gap. Uh, there's a, a variety of ways to do that. Uh, you know, taking caffeine before a race lowers perceived effort. Like, mm. you actually, it, you know, a lot of people know that caffeine is is performance enhancing, but it doesn't actually do anything to your, your body that enhances performance. It doesn't increase your physical potential. It just makes the same pace feel a little bit easier, and therefore, like, you're – You know, you're able to run faster before you encounter that that maximum tolerable amount of perceived effort. So that's just so there's a million examples of of things like that uh, that can allow you to sort of tap into some some of that untapped potential. But sort of the the bigger factors are, um, uh, well, the training process itself can obviously obviously be exploited uh, to help you. Um, just you know, become mentally tougher, and also to feel that any given pace is a little easier than it was last week or the week before. You know, the eighty twenty approach is is sort of that. But uh, another thing that people overlook too often is enjoyment. Like the more you enjoy the training process, the more you'll you'll invest yourself in it. And so a lot of people think I have to choose. I I, I have to choose between having fun mm. and working hard and and getting results but actually the two go together you'll never work harder than when you're having fun um so you know there's obviously there're right and wrong ways to, to to train but there's also a lot of latitude like within within the universe of the rules you can't get away with breaking there's a lot of latitude to do things your way and to think about like you know, do I have more fun when I train with a group or when I train alone, when I make an effort to to run on trails or when I just go out my front door? There's all kinds of things like that. Um, and elite runners are really good at exploiting that because it's their job and they want it to be as enjoyable as possible. But it's, it's performance enhancing to maximize the amount of fun you have in training.
2: So it's not just about constructing training in terms of the number of miles, the pace. It, it's thinking about how can I actually, when I'm doing these runs, how can I make them as fun as possible? How can I make them as enjoyable? How can I make myself want to do them?
0: Yep. Yeah, so there's the, the good thing is, like, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as the expression goes. So, um, again, there are rules you can't get away with breaking in terms of effective training. Um, but there's there's, you know, even studies showing that if you, like, have – Two different training programs that are identical except the structure of the interval workouts is different so one of them you know i i don't have the specifics in front of me but if you look if you look at the interval workouts they don't look the same mm-hmm. but uh, but if you if you can sort of break it down they're more or less equally challenging uh, what you find is you get actually the same results at the end of it so that's great news because you might actually have a preference <laughs> You might like, you know, you might like one particular interval workout structured you can't stand and the other one you can't wait to do that workout will do the one you can't wait to do. Um, yeah. That type of thing.
2: Well, it's, it's quite interesting because I, I went to, we have an organization called BMF over here, British Ministry Fitness. And I went to their run club for the first time on Thursday. And one of the sessions they had was as pairs, you ran around a square and one of you was going as hard as you could. The other one was jogging. And when you, got when you met each other you high-fived and you switched roles Uh and that that was really fun because you're always met with a smile and you feel like you're running for your buddy as well right and it. i mean that that strikes me the type of thing that people could potentially go and do if they don't want to just have to do intervals of 400 meters it's a nicer way of doing it
0: yeah i do that even uh you know i mostly train on my own but i'll i i find ways to to have a little more fun too. So if I need to do like a, an over distance training run, if I'm training for an ultra marathon, I'll just sign up for a local marathon and, you know, instead of doing the, it on my own, like around the atmosphere, the energy, I get the sports drink on, you know, they've got the bands playing and it just makes the whole thing fun. Or another time when I was training for an ultra marathon, I found someone who lived in the area where the, the course was. And I just, I reached out to him and said, Hey, do you want to just show me the course? Uh, and so it turned something that would have just been a workout. You know, I could have done the same distance with the same yeah. elevation change at the same pace on my own. But it turned, you know, just a, a mere, you know, uh, training stimulus into an experience. I made a new friend. You know, I got to see a new place. And, uh, you know, there's, it's limitless the, the ways you can you can just you know enhance the enjoyment factor of your training
1: and 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 so is there is there there's a way of reversing this as well then surely so if you if if by um enhancing the enjoyment of it you're improving um uh, improving your performance if you make it horrible for someone theoretically as much (laughs) as possible you can seriously damage their performance as well does does it work that way
0: yeah i mean you know you know obviously like that hasn't been done in a study (laughs) (laughs) yet. (laughs) But, you know, just, you know, if you look in the, uh, you know, the real world, uh, you see it all the time. Like you'll have, you know, sort of bad coaches who just, you know, they just, they, they break, they break runners down, uh, often, you know, like it's psychologically first and then it, you know, it yields, poor results uh, second. So yeah, absolutely. I th- I, I've seen so many examples of runners who stop having fun and then they stop improving and then, then they stop running.
1: Are, are there any to specific te- uh, techniques or stories that, um, that could be applied possibly, um, to rival runners that um because you're david's very much about mind games and 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 and, you know trying to use psychology to to psych out your your opponents is there is there anything that you've you've heard about that that may be used effectively
2: yes So say we're running we're racing with a guy middle of the race and we're starting to chat a little bit what type of things should we say to destroy him should we start badmouthing his mother should we start saying that his running style looks a little bit rubbish should we uh, laugh at his shoes
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah you know one thing you can do and this is something that you know naturally competitive runners do uh just sort of automatically but it's also been shown uh in studies to be effective is you try to look like it's like the, uh, never let them see a sweat. So if you're if you're running next to someone and you want to get to the finish line ahead of them, do everything within your admittedly limited power to look like you're as cool as a cucumber. Like you you could keep running this pace forever. You can even smile um, and it, it'll actually it'll do two things. One, it will psych out the other runner because, you know, that he, he'll be conscious of wow, I can hear my breathing. I can't hear his breathing. You know, this dude must be coasting. So hold your breath. (laughs) Hold your breath. breath. Uh, But also it'll, by just actually, um, by actually trying to look like uh, it's easy, it will actually feel a little bit easier. Now it's not going to be a drastic difference, but um, it sort of does, you know, usually if you're grimacing, it's because you're hurting. Uh, but you can also sort of resist the temptation to grimace, and it will sort of, on a feedback loop, reduce your perceived effort level just slightly. So that's what you want to do: psych them out.
1: Wow, I, there's I, a whole said, new what? there's a whole new black book there, isn't there? A black book that you, it, it, it's special. Uh, it's like almost like black ops skills to to psych out runners. Yeah.
0: Psychological warfare.
1: Yeah. Well,
2: Jody, you could potentially hire me to run around and follow Tom Dark in all his training and just slate him and make him feel horrible throughout each session. And then he'll eventually give up and, and you'll win.
1: That's, I love that. I love that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and is this just, just in the actual run itself? Say, for example, I decided I, I'm not a big fan of a certain run, but I, I know I have to do it. If I reward myself at the end of that run with a big ice cream and i know going into the run that that's my reward and so therefore i'm thinking come on ice cream and then i have my wonderful ice cream it it, would that work as well
0: actually uh, i think it, it probably can for some runners but the what the research shows is that those types of incentives don't work terribly well that if you actually want to um get the most benefit from the workout you need to find a way to embrace the workout itself okay Um, yeah versus like you know just muddling through it for the sake of uh, an extrinsic reward
2: uh so you really need to be i guess setting have have better reasons for why you want to set reach a goal or have stronger stronger goals or stronger targets
0: yeah, so I mean, it, you know, if it's a workout that you you sort of have to do, like it's like you you know you have to include it in your training in order to get, to get the results. Then what you want to do is like find ways uh, to, you know, to sort of to make it an acquired taste. You know, you know what I mean, or just you know find ways to 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 be to hate it less. You know, the, and what one the one of the simplest ways is just to challenge yourself. Um, just sort of treat it as um you know a dragon you want to to slay um mm. and you know, like you know forget about like you know just hating it and being content to hate it but actually view that as a problem to solve you know just uh you know just get get creative about how you mentally approach those workouts until you know they're, they may never be your favorite but um you know you can you can acquire a taste for them to some degree
1: is, there, is yeah, that disadvantage i think as well that oh sorry go on you go first Oh, no, you go ahead, Jady. I say, is there is there a disadvantage to zoning out? Um, like, if you're on, if you're if, if you're doing um, a low intensity run and you are uh, you've, you've got to you know, spend an hour doing it, um, and then zoning out by listening to music or or a podcast or something like that, is there a disadvantage to that? Is there a psychological benefit to to being in the moment while you're running, while you're while, while you're going through that, or or, or does it not matter?
0: Yeah, for, for anything that's sort of, if, if it's easy enough that you can zone out or that your natural tendency is to zone out, there, there's no disadvantage to that. Okay. Um, you know, when you get to a certain uh, level of perceived effort, you know, a, a sort of a a neurological switch is flipped where you have to focus. <laughs> and then it starts to matter, like, how you focus. But, yeah, you know, let's face it, you know, most of the time we spend running, it it's it doesn't hurt. It's not supposed to hurt. So if you want to make a shopping list in your head or think about sex or listen to a podcast, it's it's all good. All three. And, that's just <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I, I I strangely enough, I find there's one run in my week, the the Thursday run, that's the end of my week, it's my tempo run. That's the one that I dread the most sometimes, but it's also the one I enjoy the most sometimes generally when i when i feel fit and fast i love that run because that's the run where i prove if i'm improving i prove my speed but i also know that it's the hardest one physically and so yeah absolutely the the way i approach that run each week completely changes my enjoyment of it
0: right yeah there's um i mean there's i call it bracing yourself um and, and that that's Like if you're going to go to the dentist for a procedure that you know is going to hurt, and there's research showing this, that your pain tolerance is higher if you ahead of time accept that it's going to be painful. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the two options are I'm going to the dentist. I know it's going to hurt, but I'm a tough guy. I can get through it. The other option is I'm going to the dentist and man, I sure hope it doesn't hurt like it did last time. If you do the the latter, you're actually setting yourself up to be sort of surprised by how much it it hurts, um, and your pain tolerance will be lower. If ahead of time you just accepted the fact, you know this is going to suck a bit, but it's not going to last forever. You'll you'll be able to you'll feel the same amount of pain, but it will bother you less. And you know in en- endurance racing, it's not pain per se; it's perceived effort, but it's it can be equally un- as unpleasant as a root canal um so the same principle applies if you if you have a race or a workout that you know is going to suck it's actually beneficial to ahead of time just consciously accept that it's like you know it's like you know i want to do the workout but i accept that it's going to hurt um, and that you know it, by by embracing the discomfort i'll i'll benefit from it versus you know the the other orientation that would be set, setting you up for failure would be "Ah, i just don't want to think about it or you know maybe it will be one of those magical miracle runs when i don't feel anything well that's unlikely
2: (laughs) (laughs) so do we do we want to go even further and in our head build it up to be the most like childbirth every week on the running track
0: yeah i mean there's a limit to how much you can lie to yourself as a runner so like generally you have to stay within the, the bounds of reality so um you know it You know that that can work a little bit better for races because races you actually really are you know trying to you know go go as hard as you you can. So I tell people before races, important races at least, um, I believe in my ability to achieve my goal, but it's likely to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Um, Just and it might not be. Of course, not every race can be the hardest race you've ever done. But to be open to that possibility and say, hey, if that's what it takes to achieve my goal, um, then you know, I I am willing to go there. That's it sounds peril- perilously close to pessimism, but it's not- <laughs> We're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I do it that way. Like, I know I can achieve my goal, but I'm gonna have to suffer for it.
2: Yeah, so expect the worst, hope for the best and all of that. <laughs> Well, did you say you had some nutrition questions? Um,
1: I wonder if getting into nutrition now might be um, a bit too much. We've covered so much um, yeah and um, and I th- some of the some of the questions are sort of open ended and um, I just think it I think it'd be okay to sort of to, to leave it there um i think that's just been it's been so intense with the with the amount of yeah. um, stuff that we've talked about it's incredible yeah
2: we normally have at most one bit of information that's useful in an episode so <laughs> oh, it, it we're, we're ambitious that's year. pretty
1: ambitious <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean is there anything else you think we we haven't covered that that in those two books you think is is really interesting to people or is really useful for them to 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 to, know?
1: to take away yeah dang yeah and it, it, it could be that we've rinsed it it could be that we've, <laughs> exactly, we've been exactly. so good interview <laughs> interviewing
2: <laughs> but or is there another if you buy the book you'll also find out
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean there's there's sort there's sort of a sequel to the brain training for runners book uh um that uh, people might be interested in checking out it's called how bad do you want it um uh, so yeah there's that sort of like if I, if you could only choose one of the two, I would actually recommend you start there. How bad you want it.
2: Uh, and so, is the the idea behind that is really asking yourself and testing yourself how what you're prepared to do to, to achieve your goals, essentially.
0: Yeah, it, it updates sort of the the science, you know, behind the role of the brain in in endurance performance, and it also um, uh, it, it it talks about actually there's a lot of stories in there so i talk about uh i the, each chapter shares this, a story involving sort of a household name great endurance athlete it could be a runner or a triathlete and i show how those athletes um sort of put the science into practice often without even being aware of the science so he, there's like a, a a specific um coping skill psychological coping skill that's highlighted yeah. in each chapter but to make the neuroscience more palatable It's sort of like hiding spinach in a casserole. (laughs) So like you just you think you're just reading interesting stories, but you're actually building your mental game. We that like...
2: sounds really good actually I'm, I'm definitely getting that one we, we like well, I'm to obviously te- getting them all but definitely that one more, we, we even know, more so than the others <laughs> we, like, we, like,
0: we
1: like to tell people that's what this podcast is like like you listen to episodes of this podcast you're thinking it's just two blokes just taking the mick out of each other and, and talking about and actually they ter- it the education that they get and they don't realise is, is, is the absolute masterstroke of the of it's the not thing. about
2: running there they, they just end up knowing about life about themselves about themselves <laughs> <laughs> well what's the best way for people to if they want to follow your your future endeavors if they really want to um you've, you've mentioned the website already do you have a blog are there any are you, are you, a twitter user uh instagram man where can they find you
0: yeah so you know uh my personal website is matt um yeah I'm, I'm on twitter facebook and instagram twitter handle is at matt fit writer
2: at matt fit writer yep yeah
0: but it
1: paces in the group that, so that, because you're a name or just cuz Matt fit
0: writer <laughs> yeah you know i used to i used to have uh just fit writer like a physically fit, fit person who writes things but then i actually cancelled my twitter account and then when i decided to use twitter again i couldn't use the same handle so now it's a little unwieldy
2: <laughs> all those fat thousands of followers who've gone to your rival <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, well. well, well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been it's been amazing, actually, really, really interesting. And um, it's not often that I speak to a guest and think, "Oh wow, I really need to <laughs> brush up on, on what I'm doing." Uh, it's just been ah. really eye, uh, eye-opening.
1: So, but so, what, um, what what you don't what you don't realize, what I haven't revealed to you yet, is that um, but this, this, this challenge that I'm doing against this uh, this individual, um, uh, Tom Dark, in order to go sub four for the marathon, a lot of this hinges upon you. And the effectiveness of, of your training plan. So, so there's no pressure whatsoever. Not, you know, I'm sure I'll stick to it 100%. Uh,
0: but yeah. I accept, I accept it and I know you're going to achieve your goal and I want the credit when you do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> literally, as soon, as soon as I go sub four, I, this, is, this is
2: for you, Max. If you want the credit, that means that you also get to sponsor an episode of the podcast Monkey Tennis if Jody wins. Because that's what our bet is. So if you want part of that credit, you can be included in our advert that will run at the beginning of that podcast. Yeah. Wow,
0: wait, wait, that's if he wins or loses? That's if Jody wins. So
2: if if Jody wins, we get to sponsor their podcast for an episode. Okay. But if Jody loses, they get to sponsor our episode, our podcast for an episode, sadly. I, I
0: Yeah. That sounds like, I'm all in. Excellent. (laughs) So all you
1: need to do, get all of your followers to literally uh, reduce him to tears every time he, uh, he says that he's gone for a run. Or, you know, we need to use the mind gate. We need to use everything, mind games, everything to, to, to destroy him. This is perfect. And,
2: and we put out a special podcast just for him, which is called the 2080 rule. <laughs> 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 just in case it's just, he might be dyslexic and get it mixed up anyway. But. <laughs>
1: well, Amazing. thank you
2: so much, Matt. That has been incredible. If there's anything we can do for you in the future, let us know. And uh, from, from all our listeners for helping us in our future runs, thank
1: you so much. That's brilliant. Thanks so much, Matt. Baby, come back. But the bye 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 bye. But the bye. Bye 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 I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Yes, and give me one more try. Cause a love like this. Should I never ever die? Come